Since you are dismissed for Sunday school, we also have a nursery for uh, young, young children, so you can head on out. Thank you, Bob. I love the energy the kids bring. I think that that's great. Hey, listen, before we start, um, Lee, will you come up and pray for us as we open up God's Word? Can you do that for me? I caught you off guard, but, but I like doing that. Thanks, Lee. You can just stick that right in here. Raise it off. Yeah. Well, good morning. This morning, uh, you can open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. The title of my sermon is called Do Your Part. The last couple of weeks, we've had some, some exciting times in what's going on in the ministry with Jesus. Last week, we, two weeks ago, we talked about mountaintop experiences and we talked about valley experiences. We talked about uh, when Jesus took Peter, James, and John and they went up on the mountaintop and, and said that Jesus was transfigured, that they, they got a glimpse of Jesus in, in, his, in his authority, in his power. And Peter, James, and John got to experience that. Unfortunately, it kind of comes crashing down because then they have a valley experience and they, they head down the valley and they find the, the rest of the disciples in a situation where they're dealing with a young man who's possessed by a demon and it seems like the demon has the upper hand on everyone until the Lord of Lords comes in. Then last week we talked about our vertical and our horizontal relationships and that our vertical relationship with the Lord is the most important relationship you have in your life. It's more important than your relationship with your spouse. It's more important than your relationship with your children. It's more important than any relationship you have because it is your connection with Lord God Almighty. And Jesus, this, he did a lot for that relationship. Number one, he died on the cross for us so that we can have access to the Father through his son Jesus Christ. Number two, he gave us the Word of God that would nourish us and refresh us and strengthen us. How many times in your life have you had a moment where you're really struggling and this really came through for you? It does for me. 
And then finally, Jesus himself even said, hey, listen, it's to your benefit I leave. Why? Because he would send the Holy Spirit. And that was a game changer. God with us, the Spirit in us, God's Word to guide us, His Spirit to help us hit the rubber, have the rubber hit the road. It's beautiful. And so today, I want to talk a little bit about, in light of all these things, kind of what does our role look like? Because you kind of go, hey, listen, it's great that the Lord is, you know, king of the mountaintops, and he's also king of the valleys, and it's great that the Lord wants this vertical relationship with us, and it's great that the Lord wants this vertical relationship to overflow into our horizontal relationships, but what does it look like for me day to day? What is my part? What is my role? Well, let's look at the book of Mark, and we're going to start at verse 9. We start at verse, uh, I'm sorry, ch- we're going to start at chapter 9 and we're going to start at verse 30. Our three for the road, number one is this, don't bog your relationship down with the Lord with hidden agendas. Anybody who's ever experienced something where they've gotten stuck, and when, growing up in, in Western New York we used to get stuck a lot in snow. You can get stuck in mud, you can get stuck in snow, you can stand still in ice where you're just spinning and doing nothing. Sometimes you end up in the ditch and then your dad gets angry at you, but that's another story for a different day. Three for the road, number one, don't bog your relationship down with the Lord with hidden agendas. So let's look at verse 30. Now, at this point, you're going to see a distinct shifting gears in Jesus' ministry. It's going to be less focused on external and outreach, and it's going to be more focused internally. Because like I told you, Jesus is getting ready to give this ministry over to this collection of characters. And so he's going to start being very bold and direct right with them because he knows what's coming ahead. Remember, Jesus is always trying to equip you. And in the process of being equipped, it's not always pleasant. But he needs to do it. Why? Because he knows what's ahead for you even if you don't. So look at verse 30 with me. Then they departed from there, and they passed through Galilee. And he did not anyone to know it. So they're doing this kind of covertly. And it says, uh, For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is, is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed... He will rise the third day. Remember I said a few weeks back that I think the disciples understood Jesus' title. Peter even proclaimed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But I think as much as they understood his title, they didn't understand his purpose. And so Jesus says, point blank, I will be betrayed. Now think of who's the audience he's saying this to. Well, Judas is standing there somewhere. I will be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and, and he will be, and I will be killed, and after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Sometimes we need to ask, because guess what? Jesus is aware of our fear. So just ask. But instead of asking, 
The, hor- the disciples go completely horizontal. And they lose grip of the vertical, and they go horizontal. And what do they do? Well, let me tell you something. Anyone who ever tells you that the Bible is just made up and the disciples made it up has never read it. Because look what is written here. Verse 33. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves on the road? So Jesus just tells these guys a very serious situation. I will be betrayed. I will be killed. I will rise again from the grave. And then they go on this journey, and as they're going, they hear grumbling in the back. How many parents have ever heard grumbling in the back seat of the car? No, we're going to go do the. Excuse me? Nothing. And there's grumbling going on. Jesus says to him, Hey, guys, couldn't hear real well. What were you talking about back there? What was the grumbling? And then all of a sudden, everyone gets quiet, right? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. You imagine Jesus telling these guys, and they're very serious. He's looking into his eyes and goes, guys, listen, the road ahead for me is going to be tough. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be killed. I will rise again. We got to keep going. There's things we need to accomplish. And the guys are, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. And then they start walking along. And as they're walking along, I can just hear these guys starting to argue. Peter, James, and John are going, well, you know, Jesus kind of pulls us aside for special duty. So obviously we're the greatest. And then probably Andrew or one of the others goes, listen, the only reason they pull you aside is because you're the big mouth and they're the troublemakers. That's why he calls them the sons of thunder. So instead, he left us down off the mountainside to deal with the demon-possessed guys. So obviously we're a little bit ahead of you. And James and John are saying, yeah, we're brothers though, and he likes us both a lot, and so we're the greatest. And in the meantime, Jesus is just walking along. And he sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and he set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken them in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one another, one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. Jesus asked questions to try and get us to be truthful with ourselves and truthful with him. He knew what they were arguing about. He didn't need them to fill it in. Do you ever make your kids express to you why they're angry, and as they're expressing it, they become embarrassed about why they're angry? As adults, do you ever do this? I'll be upset about something, and Pam will say, what's going on? Nothing, nothing. What is going on? And then as I begin to tell her, I realize how stupid it is. No one has that experience, but I do. But let's keep going with this. Let's make it hit home. Don't bog your relationship down with the Lord with hidden agendas. Now you might go, well, what's a hidden agenda? 
Well, a hidden agenda is when we cleverly wrap selfless moments with a subtle desire for wishes. It's subtle desires. It's kind of like um, we know when, when someone calls you, and if they call you up and they say, you know, gosh, Jason, man, it's good to hear. I wanted to call you, and I just think you're a great guy, Jason. I really respect you. And, man, I'll tell you what, you're one of the sharpest guys I've ever met, Jason. And in the back of your head, what would you start thinking? You want something, right? You need something. Something's going on. It's a hidden agenda. Now, what does it look like in the spiritual realm? Well, the spiritual realm can be praying for your boss and striving to really be there for him when he's under a struggle, while subconsciously putting yourself in a good spot for a promotion, otherwise known as brown-nosing. How many people know somebody who does that? How many people have ever experienced a situation like that? But the thing is, is we have to be careful because... Listen, all of us can have hidden agendas. All of us can think different ways about different situations. And listen, it's no secret. Study after study will say that the number one thing people like to hear is what? Their name. They love hearing their name. And so we think about ourselves a lot. I used to joke around in youth ministry. I used to say, listen, I love me, I love myself, I love my picture on the shelf, right? We have this really great love for ourselves. But we have to be careful in a relationship with the Lord that we don't have these little hidden agendas that when we're praying, we're praying, but deep down inside us, there's really something else that's going on. There's really something else where you go, hey God, if you would do this, it would really work out well over here for me. In other words, let's look how this could flush out in scriptures. In Mark 9, when Jesus came down from the mountaintop, what if the disciples ran to him and said, Jesus, we can't handle this situation? That would be truthful. But instead, when Jesus asked what's going on, no one would speak. Why? Because they don't want to reveal that they don't have control of the situation. And Mark 6 and in Mark 8, Jesus feeds the 5,000, then he feeds the 4,000. All along, he's got the grumpy boys with him, right? What did, you, what did the disciples say? Send them away. What did the disciples say? Who can feed a mass like this? All these different things. The disciples answer Jesus in everything with pessimism and sarcasm. How many people know somebody who's pessimistic and sarcastic and you want to run them over with your car? But this is what Jesus is dealing with. Lots of hidden agendas. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus calms the storm. How did the disciples wake him up when he was in the boat and there was a storm and he fell asleep? What was the first words out of their mouth? Do you not care? Do you not care? Because that's really what's inside of them. Then in Mark chapter 5, when they get to the land of the Gadarenes and there's a demon-possessed guy and they're coming out of the boat and here's this guy... They don't want anything to do with them. Jesus doesn't want us to be honest with him so that he'll know the truth. He already knows the truth. He wants us to be honest with him because it benefits us. And so often in our relationships horizontally and in our relationship vertically, 
We can get into these situations where we've kind of got these subconscious agendas with the Lord. Just be honest or else things get bogged down. Everyone knows when they feel like someone's trying to manipulate them. And that's an awful feeling. And it's an awful feeling when someone's trying to manipulate you and it's someone that you love. Now imagine Jesus listening to some of our prayers going, oh my gosh, would you just be real with me? Would you just be honest with me? I know what's going on in your heart. I know what's going on in your mind. Just own it. Just own it when you're with me. Let's keep going. Three for the road, number two. The Lord is moving around us, in us, and even in spite of us. The Lord is moving around us, in us, and even in spite of us. Let's look at verse 38. Now John answered him, saying, so the disciples, they're on a hot streak, guys. Like if you had to pick out how to stumble, fumble, and bumble, they're doing it right now. Look at verse 38. Now John answered him, saying, teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. Now can you imagine uh, if all of a sudden you got a call from the electric company. And the electric company called your house and they said, Lee, um, we just want you to know that someone called the electric company and they said that they're going to pay your electric bill for the next year. Now, I can't imagine Lee going, how dare they? That's my bill. And you tell them, you tell that person, mind their own business, I'm paying the electric bill. And a matter of fact, I want to pay late fees on top of that. Send it to me. John comes to Jesus. John, the disciple whom Jesus loves, that's what he calls himself, comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, um, remember how we had that run-in and we couldn't cast the demon out of that guy? Well, believe it or not, we found a guy who's casting out demons in your name, and we told him, hey, dude, you're not wearing one of our team shirts that say we're one of Jesus' 12. And we told him, knock it off or else. Listen to what Jesus says. Do not forbid him. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. See, I think the disciples don't realize that Jesus is working around them. He's trying to work in them. And he's trying to work despite them. Is it possible that this guy who's casting out demons, is it possible that he could have been at the feeding of the 5,000? Is it possible he could have been at the feeding of the 4,000? Is it possible that he had a private conversation with Jesus that oh, forbid the disciples didn't know about? Maybe while they were arguing about being great, Jesus was having his own conversation. Jesus can move in people's lives that we don't know about. And Jesus can move in ways in people's lives that maybe you don't care for. Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. Listen, we live in a world where we got a lot of things going against us. Let's not shoot the people who are for us. 
For whoever gives a cup of water to drink in my name because of you belong to Christ, because, you, because of you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Jesus says, hey guys, go tell the guy he's on the team. It's not about wearing a shirt. It's not about being one of the 12. I'm moving. I'm doing things. Let's make this hit home. The Lord is moving around us and in us and even in spite of us. There's a scripture, Matthew 23, where Jesus is coming to Jerusalem and he's up on the hillside and he overlooks Jerusalem. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I've wanted to gather your children together as hen gathers her chickens under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do you see God's heart? And he's saying, listen, I just want to gather you together. Why do you keep fighting? In your Bible, over this passage, it may say, Jesus forbids uh, sectarianism. And what that means is it is defined as strong support for a religious or political group you belong to and often involves conflict with other groups. Now, we've talked before about making sure that we're careful about politics, but I think today we need to warn that there's division even within the Christian church. Criticism and judgment from church to church, denomination to denomination is something I think we need to be really careful about. I'll tell you what, I listen to a lot of different preachers, and some of them I've had to give the boot. I had to give them a boot because I'm tired of hearing them absolutely slamming other preachers and slamming other churches. And this is hit personal, because I actually have friends who are in ministry who have put things out there that I go, I cannot believe you just said that. How do you know what God is doing? And you make this huge sweeping statement. If God's laid something on a pastor's heart to speak to another pastor about something they're doing, then guess what? Go speak to them. But don't use the pulpit that way. Because when pastors use the pulpit that way, it's unacceptable, it's hurtful, and it's confusing the people in the congregation. Because they say, wait, we're supposed to love, love this, and this and that, and care, and pray, and this and that, but then assassinate over here. What is that? In the church, I have been a part of meetings where sometimes, and, and this is not, and I don't mean just here at Hope, but in my time in ministry, um, people have left churches over arguments over songs, arguments over clapping, arguments over versions of the Bible. All of these things distract us. And they distract us from modeling and proclaiming the good news. It really does. I remember years ago at my former church, I had several phone calls, and, and I don't, we had a lot of staff, and for whatever reason, when there was these problematic phone calls, they always got filtered to me. And so, 
this guy comes on and he says, listen, you know, here's the problem with these different versions of the Bible and this and this and this and that. And I heard that some people in your church read this and some people this and that and everything. And we're going round and round and round and round and round. I went to our senior pastor the next day. I said, man, I'll tell you what. This guy was just on me about all these different things. He said, Eric, next time somebody calls you about versions of the Bible, tell them if they're not reading the Greek Bible, then they're reading some type of translation and it's wrong. He goes, because if that's what they want to hear, then tell them that. And tell them to brush up on their Greek. Because he said, listen, I read out of the New King James Version. So did this guy. He said to me, he said, Eric, the end result is, is listen, there's some things in the NIV Bible that I disagree on how they translate it. He said, yes. But he said, the end result is, is somebody is really reading the NIV Bible and they're doing it every day and they're following after the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving their neighbors themselves. He said, I think we'll see him in heaven. And the one thing I started realizing is that I don't want to get to heaven and have embarrassing conversations about my life. Like, I don't want to get to heaven, and while we're in heaven, I don't want to sit there and say, well, you know what, I'll tell you one of the biggest struggles I had. Is this stuff about clapping? Poof. Can you imagine Paul going, I'm sorry, what did you just say? Well, clapping. Or versions of the Bible, or this or that. And I almost wonder if the disciples would go, what are you talking about versions of the Bible? Oh, well, we took everything you wrote and we made it into this book, and it, but it's got to be this or that. And Peter's going, I spoke Aramaic. What's it written in? <laughs> well, it's, it's not Aramaic. Well, then it's not authentic. Jesus, get him out of here. No, it's foolishness. Ask God, where is he moving? Right now, there's exciting things happening down this university in Kentucky. Praise the Lord. But guess what? There's other things happening in other places. I told you this movie that's coming out next week. That's exciting. What's God doing? Where's he moving? Often we tend to be critical of people and places where God is moving because it may not be that God is moving the way we would like him to move. One of my old students is now a, a pastor at a, a very large church out west. And he put online one of his sermons. And I got to tell you, like, it's just... I love this kid, but it's not my style. Like, he comes out, and he's dressed very hip-hop. He's got this big necklace on. And half of his sermon rhymes, because he used to do rap music and that. So he's doing all this stuff and everything like that. And I'm like, man, this is almost hard to watch. Like, it's just, because it's just not me. I mean, I know I look hip-hop, but I'm really not. (laughs) But then at the end, he starts pouring out the gospel. And I see people responding. And I thought to myself, you know what, Eric? Shame on you. God's moving. God's doing something. And guess what? I think when I get to heaven, I'm going to be hanging out with some of the people from this congregation, and they're going to look a lot different than me. And by what I saw coming forward, they look a lot different than me. But I thought... Jesus kind of convicted me, and Jesus went, Eric, I'm moving there too. It doesn't look like you. They don't talk like you. They don't dress like you. And there's a lot of things they do that you don't do. But that's okay, because I'm in that too. Don't miss out. Three for the road, number three. What are you handling? Where are you going? What are you looking at? What are you handling? Where are you going? And what are you looking at? Now, Jesus is going to, you know, he, he, 
he's going to get very direct here. And he's going to get very direct. A lot of people think, well, he's probably talking to the Pharisees. No, he's talking to the disciples. Why? Because they will be the new establishment that people will look to. And look at what he says. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. A millstone was a big stone they used and they would roll it over to grind grain down. And Jesus says, hey, listen, you know what? If you lead my children astray, it would be better for you to have a chain tied around that millstone, tied around your neck and dropped into the sea. That's the plot of like half of the movies that are on TV is people disappearing in mob movies, right? This is what Jesus says. That would be better. And that is a strict warning. It's a strict warning to the disciples. It's a strict warning to pastors. It's a strict warning for anyone who is in a position of influence. How many people here have some type of influence over some other human being on this planet? Raise your hand. Everybody. Everybody. And it's a warning. Hey, you better be careful. You better be careful what you do. You better be careful how you live. You better be careful because you'll be held responsible. I've shared from this pulpit lessons I've learned. A man who from a distance spoke powerfully into my life was Ravi Zacharias. And shortly before he died, there was rumors that you would hear stuff, and I go, that's not true, that's not true. And then after he died, his own daughter came on and said, these things you've heard about my father are true. And he had had a hidden agenda in his life where he was abusing women and, and abusing his authority. And somebody called what some of the things he did is spiritual abuse. And I'll tell you what, I just went, oh. Because I would never want to face the Lord and have him say, Eric, you spiritually abused people. And you did it saying you were doing it in my name. How dare you? How dare you? Verse 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed rather than having two hands and go to hell into a fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now Jesus is giving imagery here. He's not asking people to start, you know, maiming themselves. But what he is saying is deal seriously with sin. Persistent sin in your life. Because it will cause you so much pain. And you know the crazy thing is, as I looked up Ravi Zacharias's ministry, there were tremendous apologists that worked in that ministry. Tremendous men and women. Actually, I had reached out and I was going to, at the time, I was trying to get one of them to come here. But the crazy thing is, when this thing whole, whole blew up, one of the apologists said, listen, 
I knew nothing about Robbie doing any of this stuff, but he said, no one wants to hear from me. I can't speak anywhere. People feel like I've done horrible things. And he said, and I didn't do anything. And do you see that the legacy of Christ can be handed down, but the legacy of sin and destruction can also be handed down. And here are these innocent men and women who've lost their ministry because their shepherd did these things. Deal seriously with sin, and if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. You know, outside of Jerusalem, there would be a trash heap, and it would burn. If anyone knows anything about fire and trash, if there's enough trash, it will just burn and burn and burn. And it smells. And literally, in that day and age, it's not like they got a fire company and everything like that. So the only way it's going out is if you get a serious rainfall. It just stinks. And Jesus says, listen, hell is a place where the fire is never quenched. The pain never subsides. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better to you enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than to have two eyes and be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Why does Jesus say this? Basically the same thing over three times because it's that important. It's that important. Then he finishes up the passage here. For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if, it lose, if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have, have salt in yourself and have peace with one another. Because nothing dulls a Christian more than horizontal anger and disruption. It just neutralizes everything. How many of you have ever been a part or know personally a situation where a church went through some kind of ugly thing and something that was once beautiful is now gone? A lot of us do. A lot of us do. How many of you have ever, summertime comes, one of my favorite things to eat at a picnic is watermelon. You ever see a watermelon that looks perfect but has no flavor? You ever cook a really nice piece of meat on the grill and it looks great, it cuts great and everything, but there's no flavor to it? And guess what, as Christians, we can look really good. But when the fire of hardship, when the fire of life just happens, there's no taste. There's nothing to it. It's all fake. Let's make this hit home. What are you handling? Where are you going? What are you looking at? You know, I remember early on in my walk with the Lord, I set different standards in my life. And as time went by, I would hold those standards, but after a while, what happens? Eh, get a little lazy. Just kind of start coasting. And you start surrendering ground. Neville Chamberlain was the Prime Minister of England. And he flew to Berlin to meet with a guy named Adolf Hitler. 
And he said to him, hey, listen, you know, do the, and Hitler said, I'm not, I'm not here to start a war. I'm not going to do anything. And so what did everyone compromise? Everyone compromised. And what did Hitler do? Violated every single rule. And that's a powerful lesson because guess what? We can do that spiritually. We can compromise. We can give up ground. And guess what? When we give up ground, the ground doesn't stay vacant. Who moves in? Satan goes, hey, listen, if you're not going to frequent this area, and if the Lord is no longer in that area with you, then guess what? I'll be in this area with you. It's okay. I'll move in. Have you allowed those standards in your life to lapse? What are you handling? Where are you going? What are you looking at? What are the things that you are involved in in your life that you go, hey, you know what? I wonder if Jesus would look at it and go, you know, I don't know what you're doing with this stuff. I wouldn't be handling it. I'm going to tell you something that I am very, very concerned with moving forward, especially in all my years of hanging out with, with young teenage boys all the way to grown men that I think is a big concern is all this online gambling and sports. Online gambling for the Super Bowl set worldwide records. Online gambling spent more money advertising during the Super Bowl than everyone else combined. Now, how do they have that much money? Because people are betting it. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that women don't bet. I know that women bet, but I am telling you, for every woman I've ever heard who laid a bet down, I know a lot of men who do. And I've never heard of someone saying that gambling somehow helped their marriage. I've never heard somebody say that gambling somehow improved their livelihood. But I know a lot of destruction. I have a young man that was in my youth ministry. I care about him. He's all grown up now. He literally lives from casino to casino, blowing everything he has. And sometimes he wins, and then he loses a lot. And he just goes from place to place. And every now and then, in the middle of the night, he'll send out something that says, I am an addict. And he's lost everything because of gambling. And I think, what are you handling? Where are you going? What are you looking at? See, this morning, my title of my sermon was, Do Your Part. And sometimes I think Jesus would say, can you set some standards and live by them? Can you set some guidelines and live by them? Can you watch what you handle? Can you be careful where you go? Can you guard against the things that you observe and watch and don't let them ooze into your soul? You know, every time I share the gospel and I give people an opportunity to receive Christ, I always use the, what they call the ABC technique. A is to admit that you sin. B is to believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And C is to commit your life. But what I've realized in all my years of ministry is that A and B is actually fairly easy. Because almost everyone, when you really think about it and you lay all the arrogance aside, everyone admits they've sinned. Right? That's an easy one. And people will really say, hey, you know what? And I believe that Jesus Christ... I believe his title, and I understand his purpose, that he died so that I could have eternal life, and that I could live with him. And I think, you know what? You're absolutely right. You A, admit, and you B, believe. But C gets complicated, because guess what C is? Well, that's your deal. 
commitment. Obedience, self-control. We don't really like those things. Have you ever had somebody tell you you're out of control? We don't like hearing that. How many people, when you hear the word obedient, it just grinds against your skin? Right? We don't like hearing that. But, you know, Jesus would say, well, I showed self-control dealing with the disciples, and we all see what that is like. And I showed obedience to my father. And when my father, when I prayed out to him at the garden, and I said, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, because I don't want to do this. But what did he finish up the prayer with? But let thy will be done. And so I look moving forward and I go, hey, you know what, Lord? I want to be careful what I'm handling. I want to be careful where I'm going. I want to be careful what I'm looking at because the eyes are the portal to the soul. I want to be careful. And Lord, when I pray with you, I want to be the utmost honest with you because I know there are agendas in me. And it would be foolishness to say that there's not. And I know that you're moving, Lord. And help me not be so prideful that I would go, but Lord, I don't want you to move in that guy. And I don't want you to move here. I don't want you to do that. Come on. He's bigger than that. Don't lose your salt. Don't lose your flavor. This world is dying in just a blah. And they need salt in it. And we can be that. But you can't be that if you're just one of these Christians that go, hey, I admit that I've sinned and I believe in Jesus Christ, who never commits. Because that's what the rest of the world does. They'll admit, they'll believe, but as soon as words like self-control and obedience come out, they go, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, I'm happy you did your part, but I'm not doing that. I'm not doing those things. I said earlier, I never want to get to heaven and be embarrassed with the way I acted here. I never want to get to heaven and say, you know what, Lord? Um, yeah, I love you, and I care about you, and Lord, I'm so happy to be here, but I'll tell you what, that neighbor of mine was hard. And I think Jesus is going to, really? Really? When I was young, I remember I wrote goals down. And I look back at them now, and I kind of laugh. Do you know what one of my goals was? It was to bounce a soccer ball off my head 25 times in a row. That was a life goal, right? And I remember that I, I got this idea because I was watching one of those late-night infomercial things, and this guy was talking about setting goals for your life. And he was like, you know, hey, financial freedom this, or this, or that, or a meaningful relationship. And the first thing I went is, if I could bounce a soccer ball 25 times off my head. And I think, I, honestly, I think God just laughs at that stuff. But sometimes I think God would still laugh at some of our goals. Like, really, that's your goal. That's your goal in life. I gave you the gospel. I've given you the Holy Spirit. And your goal is that. And I don't want to be embarrassed. And I want to do my part. And I understand this. I can't earn salvation. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that I want to be where he wants me to be. And I want to be a part of the things he wants me to be a part of. And that's all it is. 
You know, the interesting thing is, is Paul, at the end of his life, talks about finishing the race. You notice he doesn't say, and I finished first. No, what did he do? He finished. I want to finish the race. And the only thing is, is I don't know when my race will end, but I pray that when it does, that he'll say, look at Segul running hard right to the end. Way to go. You're doing your part. And then what does Jesus say? Come and enjoy, good and faithful servant. Let's stand up. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to close with a song, and then we got a fun announcement. Because you can't have fun at church. Come on up, guys. But I want to pray for us. And I want you to know that anyone today, listen, if you're saying, hey, you know what, Eric? I am one of those AB people. I admit, and I believe, but I really am shaky in that commitment department. Well, today would be a great time to say, hey, Lord, you know what? I'm in. I'm in. I'm going to set standards in my life, and I'm going to live by these standards, by your strength. I'm going to do these things. And you'll be amazed. Because Jesus will show up in ways in your life that you go, I don't know how this worked, but it worked. Just like Jesus is showing up and his spirit is flowing down in this college campus, and yet a lot of people would go, boy, the place kind of looks like a dump. But his spirit's there. Just like God showed up years ago when a pastor named Chuck Smith said, all right, I'm going to, all these hippies, no one likes them, I like them, I'm going to invite them to my church. They stained the carpet, they came in barefoot, they did all these things, they changed the world. Because God moved powerfully. Let me pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity. And Lord, I just pray that I would do my part because you know what? You did yours. You did yours. You sent your son, Lord, to die for me. You gave me your word. You gave me your spirit. So Lord, I pray that I would have courage to do my part. Lord, to follow you, to look for where you are moving, to lay aside my agendas, to set standards in my life, and to let the characteristics of obedience and self-control be the adjectives that describe my relationship with you. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the people here this morning. I pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that maybe they're A-B people, and today they need to be A-B-C people, Lord. I pray for them right now. God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have a closing song, and then I'll be up at the very end.